Good morning, Randolph Street family. I trust that you're up and at him this morning. I trust that this uh, time in the Psalms will be a blessing to you again this week. Our assignment for this week, as we have been reading together, are the Psalms of Lament. This time, kind of a subcategory with it, and that would be Psalms of Lament that are caused by sin in our life that bring about repentance. We might ask the question, why are these psalms of repentance a subcategory of the psalms of lament? I believe Paul gives us some tremendous insight in this, and I would uh, give you this as a passage of Scripture to think about in relationship to mark it down if you've been taking notes this week, and maybe you've already been led there. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. You remember that the Apostle Paul sent a letter to the church at Corinth that we know as 1 Corinthians. It was a letter more than any other letter in the New Testament that was a strong rebuke to the sinfulness of those people. Their lifestyle, how they conducted themselves, there was just gross immorality in the church that at some level was being somewhat celebrated, that it was being accepted and people were loving one another and Paul seeks to correct all that, but in the midst of it, he calls for some very strong acts of discipline on the individuals involved uh, of dealing with that. He turns them over to Satan, just some very, very strong language. In 2 Corinthians, a letter that follows that up, he is going to uh, thank them for what they've done to find their comfort and help and strength in the Lord. When he comes to chapter 7, he speaks about this letter that he had sent to them, 1 Corinthians, this letter of rebuke, as causing them to grieve. It speaks about grieving in the sense of a sorrow that would lead them to repentance. It says in verse 10, For a godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death. For we see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. And so as we think about the various emotional aspects of sin in the life of a believer, that it should bring us to grief. There are many things that are very similar to other things that happen in our life, sorrow, heartache, loss, a variety of things that would also drive us to lament, to crying out to God, to expressing the rawness of our emotions and our feelings and those sort of things that we would bring before the Lord. And so as you think about sin, if we have a right perspective of sin in the life of a believer, then certainly we are going to see how it could easily fall under the Psalms of lament. I believe Psalm 51.1 gives us a good identity of what these particular category of Psalms are like. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. It is a cry to God. 
It is a plea for mercy. Much like other areas in our life, we want to know God's presence. We want to know God's pleasure. We want to know God's hands. We want to be restored to just that sense that God is near us, that he is walking with us, uh, that we have the blessings of God upon our life, that we can uh, know that things are right between us and our God. And so these Psalms of Lament do that same thing. A second question that I would like to pose this morning, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time uh, in our brief uh, time today, and that is, what are the purposes of God in giving his people these psalms? What are the purposes of God in giving his people these psalms? What do we learn from them? I wish so very much that each of you who have engaged in, this, in uh, the reading of these psalms this week could be present here and we could have kind of a, a, a group discussion kind of sharing what God has taught us, what God has revealed to us through the ministry of the Spirit of God working in us and bringing things to our mind, enlightening our, our thought process as we think about this, the things that have been pressed into our own soul. But I will share with you some of the things that I have learned this week, some of the things that have been helpful to me. The first thing I think is that it helps us learn the process or how to process, how to interact with God when we need to repent. It would seem like that would be obvious, but I think many people really struggle in knowing how to process sin in our life and how we engage with God when we are in sin. How do we deal with that? Do we hide these things from God because of our embarrassment? Do we speak these things openly and honestly before God? How candid are we when we confess our sins before the Lord? I think as you read these Psalms, it becomes very evident there are certain aspects and characteristics that should be a part of how we repent, of what it looks like, of what it feels like, of the impact and the effect and the longing of our soul. If you see many things here that are not a part of your relationship with God as you walk through life, I would encourage you to think them through and make them a part of your life. Ask God to make these things very real. The first thing in this process is the importance of being honest in our confession. The word confess itself means to agree with God. When we confess our faith, we're simply saying, I agree with God and what he is saying. Or I agree with the historical church and what they are putting forth in this confession of faith, and I am confessing my faith. To confess our sin means to say the same thing about our sin that God says about it. To have the very same perspective that God does. Psalm 32.2 says, In whose spirit there is no deceit. It is easy to deceive ourselves. It is easy to think that somehow, some way, 
and it's so silly, but in some way we are deceiving God that if we're not saying something to him, then he's not aware of it. But confession, true confession is to be honest, to agree with God, to have no deceit in our heart that we are open and candid before him. Psalm 32, 5, David says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I brought it all before the Lord. Everything that I did or did not do, the thoughts that I had, the feelings that I had, the anger, the emotions, whatever it was that was involved in this sinful pattern in my life or this sinful deed or act or whatever the case would be, that I acknowledge that. I simply told God, I agreed with God of what I knew that he felt about my sin. His perspective became my perspective. And I confessed that and acknowledged it before the Lord. Something else that we learn in these Psalms as we think about repentance, not only are we to be honest, but we are to be sensitive and quick to repent. The very first church that I pastored was a small rural church in southeastern Ohio. The name of it was Road Fork Baptist. It just sat in the forks of the road out in the country. I remember we would meet together and pray together. And one of the men would often use this phrase, God help me keep a short account of sins. I had never heard that expression used, and, but it is one that when I began to think about it, I thought that's an excellent thing to bring before the Lord. That we would be sensitive to our sin, even something that would seem trivial to others as the Spirit of God would impress that upon our heart, we would be sensitive. Our heart would not be calloused. It would not be hard. We would not grow so used to sinning and so used to speaking in that way or harsh in our words or spirit that when we would say something that we would recognize wounded, grieved God, that we ourselves would be grieved and that we would be quick to repent the psalmist says in 32.6, Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. It isn't that God is hiding somewhere, but the psalmist is simply saying here, when our hearts are in a place where we recognize we need to do that, we need to confess. If not, and he goes on to say, Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. When we do not deal with our sin, and we allow it to go unchecked. Maybe it is a lustful thought. Maybe it is a pattern that is beginning to develop in our mind and we think we can somehow do this and not suffer any consequences from it. Whatever the case would be, when we begin to hide our sin, it is like a water that rises and suddenly you know, we don't think about it too much. It's at our ankles, our knees, and suddenly we begin to realize, wow, this is getting deep. And then the water begins to rush, and we cannot get out of it, and we just get swallowed up by it. That's the nature and the pattern of sin. And so these psalms instruct our heart to deal quickly with our sin, not to put it off. In 32.9, he says, Be not like the horse or a mule, 
The one characteristic that most people identify with a mule or a donkey is that they are stubborn, that they can be very difficult to move and to drive. They're powerful animals, but sometimes they have a mind of their own. He's telling us here, as we think about sin in our life, don't be stubborn. Don't hold on to something. Allow the Spirit of God to direct our hearts to confession, to direct our hearts to repentance, to be sensitive to what he's doing like a bit in the mouth that when it, it pulls on one corner of the mouth that we turn that way. That's what the bit is for, is to steer us. And so as the Spirit of God begins to work in our heart as we live life and all of us engage in sin we live in a fallen world our natures even though they are redeemed still are plagued with sin we do the things that we don't want to do because sin is still there present within us and certainly we need to learn to react well quickly being sensitive to sin in our life Thirdly, we see that we should recognize that God knows every detail of the act committed and every nuance and thought behind it. We celebrate the character of God. We appreciate that God is sovereign. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. He's everywhere present, all-present. Yet, many times I think we feel like we hide. You know, we're in a dark corner somewhere and God's just simply not aware of what we're thinking. Isaiah 66, 18 says, God says, I know their works and their thoughts. The word discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. God knows what's going on. Confession is just simply bringing every detail that God reveals to our own heart and asking God to forgive us. It is that rawness. It is that honesty. It is that bringing to God even things that are shameful for us to speak about that we know we need to deal with and so we need to learn that and we learn these things God's given us these psalms to help us process to understand how to interact with God as we deal with sin in our lives as his children next thing and this is such a precious thing to gather from this God is willing to forgive and restore there would be no purpose in coming to God and asking forgiveness if we knew that he would never forgive us. But God is bound by his love and his covenant with us by his promises that he gives to us over and again that if we will come and confess that he is faithful to forgive us sin, he will restore us. David desperately wanted to be restored to that position that he had with God before. David knew the blessings of God. David knew the intimate relationship with God. And his sin had separated him from that. And as he confessed that, he knew that God would be willing to forgive him and God would restore that relationship. And he cries out, he pleads to God to bring those about. Psalm 32 Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not, whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Verse 5 of, of Psalm 32, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave 
the iniquity of my sin. Something else that we see here, and that is ultimately every sin is against God. David says this in chapter Psalm 51 and verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Nathan the prophet had so spoken to David and it opened up such a hole in David's heart. It confronted him. It grieved him. It shocked him into this reality that God knew everything that had happened. And every sin that he had committed wasn't only against another, but it was against God himself. We must recognize that no matter what sin we commit, that ultimately it is first and foremost a sin against God. And it is to God that we make our confession. We also seek forgiveness from others as we have sinned against them, if that be the case. But ultimately, every sin is against God and it is important that we recognize that and that as we make our confession, that we recognize and admit that this sin is against the Lord. Along with that, we also recognize in these psalms that there are many, many layers to our repentance. Our sin impacts a lot of different people. It often impacts our families as we are dealing with things in our own heart and we're not responding well, we're not leading well, we're not speaking kind words, we're ripping people apart. It impacts people at our workplace sometimes, in our community. There's just a lot of different layers to our sin. And therefore, there's going to be a lot of different layers to our repentance. People that we need to make things right with. Things that we need to say. Areas that we need to address. Maybe it is our children that we need to go to and seek their forgiveness because of something that we've said or a promise that we've broken or whatever the case would be. These psalms so teach us that we must deal with our sin and it is such a helpful thing for the child of God to be able to identify with that because like all of the psalms, they represent how we walk in life and what our relationship is like with God just as we proceed through life. They're so real and we can identify with them at so many different levels. The next thing I would like for us to think about in why God gave us these psalms, these examples of psalms of confession and repentance, lament of our heart. And that is to help us identify genuine repentance in our hearts and in people that we are dealing with. Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, the passage that I alluded to earlier, makes an interesting contrast. He speaks about godly sorrow or godly grieving over our sin and a worldly grieving or sorrow over our sin. 
Many times people are simply sorry because they have been caught. They are sorry because of an inconvenience that it has brought them about. And the repentance and sorrow is very self-oriented. It's based on difficulties that we face or inconveniences that we experience. It has very little to do with our relationship with God and our relationship with others. There's a worldly sorrow, a sorrow that is self-absorbed and a godly sorrow, one that brings true, genuine repentance. There are many markers, if you will, of genuine repentance. It is never wise to judge other people because we don't always see in their hearts and know the situation as God would know it. But there are certain characteristics. As a pastor, many times it's been my lot to deal with people that are engaged in sin and, and confronting them in that sinful way. Many times people will confess and you walk away saying, well, I don't know if that was genuine. I don't want to judge their heart, but there was no evidence, a, a biblical type of evidence that there was genuine repentance or a child with a parent, just not a genuine repentance or a spouse's relationships. Here's some markers. Genuine repentance is, is marked by an emotional and a spiritual distress. David would say, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. We recognize that the sin in that person's life is impacting them. They recognize that. That's a part of their confession. That is their desire that they want to be restored in their relationship with God. They, they are experiencing God's conviction that results in the heaviness of guilt in our soul that we have sinned against God. Psalm 38 is extremely descriptive when we think about the emotional distress of sin that leads us to a genuine repentance. And these things need to be marked. There needs to be that sense that there's a, depth, a desperation almost in our own heart to make things right with that person, to make it right with God, to restore a relationship that's extremely valuable to us. Psalm 38, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down upon me. He continues to speak about what things were like, that he was feeble, he was crushed, he groaned, the tumult of his heart. All these things are so critical. In, in 2 Corinthians 7, I would encourage you to read the, the scriptures, the, the descriptors there, the markers that would evidence genuine godly repentance, that there's a zeal, there's a there's a deep desire. We want things to be right. We follow up on that in a way that would clearly evidence that we want things right to be, we want things to be right with God. 
Psalm 51 is so good just to take time and think it through as you've done this week and, and allow it to form your thought process as you deal with sin, as you repent. Where David just all through the psalm cries out to God for his help, for that restoration. Cast me not away. The, the truth and the genuineness of our confession. So I trust that these psalms of lament that lead to repentance have been instructive and helpful in your walk with the Lord this week. Next week, we're going to be addressing the psalms of wisdom, and we look forward to that. But thank you for joining me this morning. I trust that this has been a helpful exercise and time for you. Blessings be upon you.